welcome to Immigration Review, your weekly source for immigration case law updates and insights. I'm your host, Kevin A. Gregg, back again to review the week's presidential immigration cases, rummaging through the decisions so you don't have to. This podcast is sponsored by Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, also known as KKTP, a law firm where I'm also a partner. Whether you are facing an immigration obstacle, a serious injury, or a legal issue in your business, KKTP will aggressively protect your best interests. This podcast is also sponsored by DocketWise, an all-in-one immigration forms and case management solution trusted by thousands of immigration lawyers across the U.S. I really like DocketWise. It makes immigration applications easy by allowing the clients to provide information through simple online questionnaires that are shareable by text or email and available in multiple languages. Not only that, DocketWise provides a comprehensive group of case management features, including invoicing and calendaring, secure messaging, task management, and a lot more. You can learn all about DocketWise and receive a 10% discount on your subscription by heading to docketwise.com immigration review so they know we sent you. And as always, this show does not constitute legal advice and has no bias other than to keep you up to date and to enable you, my dear colleagues, to excel in court. So, without further ado, let's start the review. As expected, it was a bit of a quiet week for the circuits, but I still have three cases for you, taking us from Indonesia to the Congo. If you're still with family for the holiday, share with them the wonderful gift of the podcast, won't you? Also, watch out for another special episode, dropping soon. Starting off, we have Nababan v. Garland, published by the Ninth Circuit on November 23rd, 2021. This case is about changed country conditions motions to reopen. Judge Van Dyke dissented. Mr. Nababan and his wife are evangelical Christians from Indonesia. They were both admitted into the United States as tourists at different times about 20 years ago. They seem to have met in the U.S. and married in 2003, after which, that same exact year, they were served with notices to appear. They conceded removability and applied for asylum and related relief. In removal proceedings, they both testified that they had been active in the Seventh-day Adventist, or SDA, church in Indonesia but that they had been prevented from prophesizing in that country and that they remained active in the church in the U.S. The immigration judge and the BIA agreed that Mr. Nababan and his wife were members of a, quote, disfavored group, end quote, in Indonesia, but held that they hadn't suffered past persecution and didn't have a well-founded fear of future persecution or torture, and so denied their claims. As did the Ninth Circuit in 2012. The couple were not physically removed, and filed motions to reopen based on changed country conditions that made their way all the way up to the Ninth Circuit in 2016. But the motions were not successful. But then in 2018, the couple filed another motion to reopen, based on an alleged, quote, eruption of attacks against Christians as a whole starting in 2016, end quote, in Indonesia, particularly for them, for as evangelical Christians and newly promoted leaders of their church, quote, a key tenet of their faith is spreading the gospel, end quote. 
They submitted a bunch of evidence to support their claims, including affidavits from two experts. The BIA denied again, but this time, the Ninth Circuit reversed. First, the Ninth Circuit noted that, in the Ninth Circuit at least, courts must conduct a particularly individualized analysis for disfavored groups, such as Indonesian Christians. And here, the addition of the evangelical characteristic makes the petitioner's risk of persecution even more heightened than others in the disfavored group. Therefore, in adjudicating the 2018 changed country condition motion to reopen, the BIA needed to sufficiently analyze not simply whether conditions have gotten materially worse for Indonesian Christians since the couple's removal order in 2009, but whether it had become materially worse for evangelical Christians. Here, the BIA failed to give, quote, proper consideration, end quote, to the fact that the couple were evangelical and would need to prophesize as part of their faith, meaning that the BIA erred. Also, the BIA improperly discounted the couple's recent promotion to higher-ranking leadership positions in the church as merely changes in, quote, personal circumstances, end quote, rather than materially change country conditions that generally will allow non-citizens to succeed on such motions to reopen. And that is because it is well established, particularly in the Ninth Circuit and most recently discussed in Rodriguez v. Garland on episode 47, that, quote, changes in a petitioner's personal circumstances are relevant where those changes are related to the changed country conditions that form the basis for the motion to reopen, end quote. So, for example, and sticking with Indonesia, if a Muslim individual claimed asylum from Indonesia and was denied asylum, but later, after the removal order, converted to Christianity, that change in personal circumstance might warrant reopening if there has been a material change in country conditions for Christians in Indonesia. Case remanded for further consideration of the motion to reopen. Congratulations, Howard R. Davis, for petitioner. Chalk this decision up with the First Circuit's case in Seotang v. Sessions, the Third Circuit's 2019 decision in Liam v. Attorney General, and the Second Circuit's 2020 decision in Tanos and Toso et al. v. Barr, discussed on Episode 9 of the podcast, all for excellent cases to rely upon for Indonesian Christian motion to reopen claims, especially for prophesizing Christians. And that is Nababan v. Garland. Next is Jang v. Garland, published by the Second Circuit on November 24, 2021. Similar but not identical to the Fifth Circuit decision discussed last week, this case is about orders to show cause and Ms. Chavez-type arguments. Mr. Jiang is from China and was served with an order to show cause, or OSC, in 1994, charged as being in the United States without inspection in pre-Irira deportation proceedings. The OSC lacked the time and place of Mr. Jiang's first deportation hearing, but he received a follow-up notice in 1995 with that information. Mr. Jiang applied for asylum, which an IJ denied in 1996, but the IJ did grant Mr. Jiang post-conclusion voluntary departure, as did the BIA on appeal. Mr. Jiang did not depart the United States, meaning that the voluntary departure order transformed into a final order of deportation. Over the next 20 years, Mr. Zhang had U.S. citizen children and never obtained a criminal record. And in 2018, he filed a motion to reopen his deportation proceedings with the BIA. Now, of course, during that time, the law changed a lot. 
Most notably, IRIRA went into effect in 1997, just after the BIA dismissed the appeal in this case, and in that law, Congress replaced the easier-to-obtain suspension of deportation relief with non-LPR cancellation of removal, requiring that a non-citizen have 10 years' continuous physical presence in the U.S. to even potentially qualify. And while non-LPR cancellation rather than suspension of deportation only applies to proceedings initiated after IRIRA's effective date of April 1, 1997, Congress expressly made the stop time rule retroactive, meaning that for non-LPR cancellation of removal purposes, the service of an OSC or NTA stops the accrual of the 10 years. But as we all know by now, in Pereira and then in Chavez, the Supreme Court held that when it comes to NTAs, only NTAs that include the time and place of the first removal hearing satisfy the stop time rule because the stop-time rule expressly references INA Section 239A, and Section 239A expressly requires that such information be contained in NTAs. Also, and although it was not argued here, we also know from the Ninth Circuit's decision Cantor v. Garland, published by the Ninth Circuit on November 3rd and discussed on Episode 80 of the podcast, that a removal order doesn't implicate the stop-time rule. So while that's the Ninth Circuit and not the Second Circuit, there's a good chance that, so the argument goes, if the OSC never stopped Mr. Jang's accrual of continuous physical presence, he has now become prima facie eligible for non-LPR cancellation of removal, because it's been like 20 years, and notwithstanding the fact that he was not eligible for suspension of deportation all those years ago. And if that's the case, then maybe the BIA should have granted Mr. Jang's motion to reopen, like in Cantor v. Garland. So, did the OSC stop the accrual of continuous physical presence? It did not, according to the Second Circuit. And that's because OSCs, unlike NTAs, are not defined by INA Section 239A, but rather by a completely different and since-replaced statute. As we discussed last week in that Fifth Circuit case, that former statute did not require the time and place of the first hearing to be only in OSCs, but instead allowed for that information to be contained in follow-up hearing notices. Therefore, said the Second Circuit, there's nothing deficient about the OSC Mr. Jiang received. And because it's not deficient, it triggered the stop-time rule, per IRIRA, which again made the stop-time rule retroactive and triggered by OSCs. This holding apparently aligns with published and unpublished decisions in the 7th, 9th, and 11th circuits, and in this podcaster's opinion, more circuits to come. Mr. Jiang therefore lost his petition and will not have his proceedings reopened. One more thing. I'm not quite sure what Mr. Jiang's argument was for cancellation eligibility in the first place. He was ordered deported in pre-Arira deportation proceedings. As I understand it, if he gets that reopened, he remains in reopened deportation proceedings, where he couldn't apply for non-LPR cancellation of removal anyway, because that relief doesn't exist in deportation proceedings. It only exists in post-IRIRA removal proceedings. Now, suspension of deportation is available in deportation proceedings, and there was only a 7-year rather than 10-year continuous physical presence requirement for suspension. But under BIA precedent, service of the OSC stops the accrual of the 7 years. So it seems that maybe Mr. Zhang was in trouble with his cancellation argument, regardless. Or maybe I've just missed something from this very old statutory framework. And that is Zhang v. Garland.
Finally, we have Mubanga v. Garland, published by the Sixth Circuit on November 22nd, 2021. Welcome back to the podcast, Sixth Circuit. This decision is about asylum and fundamental changes in country conditions. Mr. Mabonga is from the Democratic Republic of Congo and, as a young man, refused requests from representatives of the ruling People's Party for Reconstruction and Development to get involved in acts of political violence against rival parties. Instead, he became involved with a rival political party, the Union for Democracy and Social Progress. In response, government police detained and beat Mr. Mabonga on two occasions, and on one occasion, until he lost consciousness. I know I talk a bit casually about this stuff on the podcast, but can you imagine that actually happening to you? It's crazy. Mr. Mabonga woke up in a medical center where he remained for four days. The final act of torture occurred in 2015, when police detained him and again tortured him in a detention center for four days. With his family eventually able to secure his release, asylum legalese for bribes and police extortion, he fled to a small town in the Congo, but when discovered two years later, fled to the U.S. He was placed in removal proceedings where he brought claims for asylum and related relief. Now actually, an IJ and then seemingly the BIA denied relief and protection by finding Mr. Mabonga not credible. Additionally, however, the IJ and the BIA held that even if credible, Mr. Mabonga lacked a well-founded fear of future persecution because his political party, the Union for Democracy and Social Progress, now controls the Congo. On petition for review, the Sixth Circuit didn't address adverse credibility because it found the latter holding correct and dispositive. Assuming Mr. Mabonga suffered past persecution on account of his political opinion, as the Sixth Circuit did here, he's due asylum unless an IJ denies as a matter of discretion, or unless DHS meets its burden to establish, based on a preponderance of the evidence, that the applicant can reasonably relocate to avoid the harm, or that a fundamental change in circumstances has occurred such that the applicant no longer has a well-founded fear. To meet that fundamental change burden, DHS must, quote, tie that change to the specific refugee's situation by showing that the refugee now lacks a well-founded fear of persecution, end quote. Emphasis in the original. However, and while this is not necessarily the law in all circuits, in the Sixth Circuit, general sources such as the Department of State reports and other credible reports, quote, regularly meet the government's burden, end quote provided that the reports have information sufficiently tied to the non-citizen's experience. According to the Sixth Circuit, a change in political parties is the type of evidence that qualifies to meet that burden, particularly where, as here, a non-citizen has been harmed by a rival political party, and particularly where, as found by the IJ here, the rival parties are now sharing power, I guess a bit peacefully. With DHS having met its burden, the burden returned to Mr. Mabanga to show that he nevertheless had a well-founded fear of persecution. This he could not show, as he hadn't provided enough evidence of the current situation in the Congo relevant to his case. The Sixth Circuit determined that Mr. Mabanga had waived any challenge to the denial of humanitarian asylum, a form of relief that doesn't actually require a well-founded fear showing, and that he had waived cat protection too. And so, the Sixth Circuit affirmed the removal order. But here's some good to support your asylum briefs. Okay, 
So a change in political parties will often negate a well-founded fear in the Sixth Circuit, especially in political opinion type cases. But if merely such a quote, change can rebut a refugee's fear of persecution if that fear is tied to the now outdated opposition to the prior government, end quote, so too should a non-citizen's well-founded fear return based on a return to power by the persecuting political party. Makes sense to me to argue. Think, just like the Sixth Circuit did, Albanian asylum cases, where the political parties seem to leave and return every few years. Also, cite this case for support that reports from Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch are reliable and can indeed satisfy a party's burden. Finally, and though I admit I'm quoting this a bit out of context, the Sixth Circuit states that Department of State reports are pretty general and, quote, do not include this granular level of detail about a specific risk to a specific refugee, end quote. Use it if it helps you. And that is Mabanga v. Garland. So there you have it. You're all caught up with the past week's published immigration cases. I'm Kevin A. Gregg, a partner with the law firm Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, and this has been another episode of Immigration Review. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and rate and review us. Each review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, subscribe to Immigration Review wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what we do and want to become a patron of the show, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash immigration review, or click on the link in the show notes. And if you're interested in an official Immigration Review CLE certificate for five credit hours, email me at kgreg at kktplaw.com with your full name and the episode numbers for the 10 shows you've listened to. Also, feel free to email me with questions, comments, or anything at all. And follow the show on Instagram and Facebook, at Immigration Review. And send us a tweet, at ImReview. That's I-M-M Review. I'll be back next Monday for a brand new discussion. Until then, I'm Kevin A. Gregg, bringing you the Immigration Review. Thank you.